How often in your Christian life have you felt spiritually deflated, spiritually powerless, like your progress in Christ, your growth in Christ has ground to a complete halt? How often have you felt like you can't walk in step with the Spirit because your spiritual feet are, are mired in the clay too deep and you can't get out. That's not the way that we were meant to live as Christians. There is power. There is resurrection power at work in every single person who is in Christ. Power that is able to accomplish more than you could ever ask or think. So often, we feel spiritually powerless and deflated. We murmur, we whine, we complain, we groan and we moan and we say, I've tried, here I am again, stumbled, fallen, can't do this. Ephesians 1, 15-23 is a call for you to think very differently about the Christian life. Let's read this portion of Scripture. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. With this consequence, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your spirit would speak to us loud and clear through this portion of your word. Through these truths, I pray, Father, that you would wake up discouraged Christians in this room to the reality of the great work of God within us, of that immeasurably great power that is at work in the inner being which is able to accomplish more than we could ever ask or think. I pray, Father, that you would help us 
that you would rivet our attention now upon these things, upon this word. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to take them to heart. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, I ask you. Father, what I ask cannot be earned. It is already earned for all of us in Jesus. I ask that you will do these things according to your grace and mercy in him and for his name's sake. Father, I pray for the fullness of your spirit as I preach your word. For your glory, for our good, in Jesus' name, amen. I really, really want for you to realize what you have in Christ. I wonder how many believers get laid to rest at the end of their lives never having truly grasped in their understanding and realized in their life experience the power that is within them from God. There's so much defeatist attitude in the church, but the Word of God gives us a message of victory over sin victory over death that we must take to heart. The other day, now I've been, I've been thinking about this particular passage and, and these truths for a long time. In fact, as I was preparing for this message, I, I realized, I, I began to think, man, this, this really sounds familiar. I wonder if I've preached this before. As it turns out, well, I have preached through Ephesians at length. I remembered that. That goes back several years. But in East, on Easter Sunday, 2012, I, I preached from this passage. So it's been a long time that this, this truth of what God has poured into us and this power at work within us, it's, it's been on my heart for a long time. So I was thinking about these things on Friday and just mulling them over as I walked outside to do some, you know, sometimes you just need some different perspective, fresh air, I don't know what it is need to take a brain break. And so I, I went outside think about, thinking about these things, and I, I saw this, this sparrow by our big oak tree, you know, by the mailbox over here in the parking lot. And, you know, the sparrow was doing what sparrows do, one of those real little ones. And it was just hopping around on the ground, grabbing a bite to eat here and there. And you know how sparrows eat if you're a bird watcher. And I, I don't know why you wouldn't be a, a bird watcher. Anyway, <laughs> sparrows just, they, they chew a mile a minute, like they're nervous, you know. So he's picking stuff off the, off the ground, and he's doing that. And then he, he flies. The sparrows aren't the best flyers. He, they, they, they flit more than anything. They flit from branch to branch. And um, so he does that number over to toward the sign and he's you know he's beating his wings furiously like the smallest sparrows do not able to maintain a straight uh flight course he's kind of he's up and he's down and just covering that what 100 feet to toward the church sign or so and i thought about what if that i just pictured that bird as an eagle what what if that was an eagle but doing the exact same thing 
as a sparrow? What if there was an eagle, bald eagle, on the parking lot thinking that he was, in fact, a sparrow? So just picture it in your head. You know, he's bouncing around on the ground, kind of like he's real nervous, but all excited at the same time, picking up these tiny little morsels, chewing real fast. And then he's just, he, he flits from branch to branch and he beats his wings as fast as he can, but he hardly gets off the ground and he's up and he's down and just to go a hundred feet over toward the sign. I mean, that would, it would be absurd for an eagle to think that he was a sparrow and to act like one. So many Christians do the same thing. It's like they, they stay in sparrow mode when God has meant for his people to, I know that this can sound cliche because of, you know, pop culture, but truly God means for his people to mount up with wings as eagles. Why? Because our God is the everlasting Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. Our God does not grow faint. I'm drawing from Isaiah 40. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable and he gives power to the faint. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning, Isaiah says, who our God is? Do you not know whose you are? Not just who you are, but whose you are, who you belong to. Do you not know what you have? It is not meant for us to feel as though we are just nothing but faltering failures. It is not meant for our spiritual progress to grind to a halt. It is not meant for us to be whiners and complainers and murmurers and be cynical about the Christian life. The Bible says that all of us stumble in many ways. James chapter 3 verse 2. It is not meant for us to stay down. This defeatist sense is not what we were intended for. Do you feel spiritually powerless? And yet the Bible says that God has done and he is able to do and he does in our lives far more abundantly than all we could ever ask or think. This is Ephesians 3. Listen to this. He does this beyond all that we could ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. According to the power that is at work in the inner being of Everyone who is truly in Christ. So this morning, my aim is to proclaim the word of God. And I hope, I am praying that you will be persuaded of the power that is yours from God by the spirit in Christ. I want to show you the strength of this power. I want to show you what it has done in the past what it has done for you already in the past, if you are in Christ, and what accomplishments still await. But you know what? You are not going to realize this power in your understanding, and you're not going to realize it in the experience of your life if you do not put yourself in the position to. So two things, okay? Two things for you to put yourself in the position to realize this power. Number one, pray earnestly and pray continuously. 
that God will give to you His Spirit. And number two, as you pray, earnestly and continuously put yourself in the position where the Spirit is pouring. Number one, pray that God would give to you His Spirit. Pray earnestly and pray continuously. And number two, put yourself in the position where the Spirit pours out. This is the prayer. You hear me pray this, for those of you who are here on a Sunday-by-Sunday basis, you hear me pray this for myself and for our church all the time. I don't believe that it's vain repetition as Jesus warned us about. I believe that this is a prayer that we must make our own and constantly raise up to God all our lives long. Lord, give to us your Spirit. Now, there are two promises of the Word of God that that fuel this cry up to God. Number one, promise. Listen to what what was said in Romans 8. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not graciously give us all things It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. God has already given to us the greatest of gifts to to meet the greatest of our needs. He has already given to us His unspeakable gift, the gift of His immeasurable love. He gave up His only beloved Son that we might be saved. And so Paul's logic is is ruthless and it's, it's sealed tight. If He has already given to us Jesus, how will He not then give us all things that we need? No good thing will He withhold from those who are in Him. And then there's this second promise that fuels this prayer that God would give to us His Spirit. Jesus Himself said in Luke 11, If you who are evil, who's evil? Don't have to raise your hand, but do it in your heart. We all are. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Man, this promise is awesome. Because He he doesn't lay down all of these conditions. But if you earnestly, sincerely from the heart desire that God give to you His Holy Spirit, He will. He says, you're a sinner and you give good things to your children all the time. You think that the Father in heaven is going to withhold His good and perfect Holy Spirit from you? And so we must pray that God would give to us His Spirit. There is no progress in the Christian life. There is no defeat of sin. There is no growth into Christ-likeness without the Holy Spirit. Now, Is it not true that we already have the Holy Spirit? Yes. So are we asking for something that we already have? No. It's true. God has already poured out after Jesus ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. God poured out the Holy Spirit and the Spirit indwells us permanently. But in Ephesians chapter 5, God has commanded that His Spirit indwelt people also be 
spirit-filled people. And there is a difference between the two. Being spirit-filled is not a steady state condition like being spirit-indwelt is. Being spirit-filled is not automatic. And so I go back to those two things. That I must pray that God would give to me a spirit. And second, then, I must put myself where the spirit is pouring out. If you pray that God will give to you his spirit, and then all you do is park yourself in front of the TV and watch sitcoms or soap operas all day long, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Because the spirit is not pouring out through TV. Where's the spirit pouring out? The spirit is pouring out where Jesus is exalted. That's where the Spirit is pouring out. So I will just say two things. In the Word of God that the Spirit has authored, which exalts our Lord Jesus Christ, and amongst the people of God, whom the Spirit unites in Christ. So if you think about this, I'm really giving you something basically that's quite simple. If you're going to realize this power that God has given to you, realize in your understanding and in your life experience, you must read the Bible, pray, and go to church. Read the Bible, pray, and go to church. Pray that God would give to you His Spirit and then put yourself where the Spirit is pouring out. In the Word, of God and amongst the people of God. No other secret to the Christian life. This is it. Be in the Word and amongst God's people, praying always. The Bible says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. So put yourself where the Spirit is pouring out. Now I want to draw your attention back to Ephesians chapter 1. Because Paul here prays that God would give to his people the Holy Spirit. He says, I do not cease to give thanks to you, for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, and this is a translation, honestly, that I'm, it's one of the most disappointing translations to me, uh, and I'll tell you why, I think you'll get it. But it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever. And of course, you can interpret that just on the surface by the translation that Paul means the spirit. But I think it should say so explicitly. This is what Paul is praying for the people of God, that they would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. How else do we know God? How else do we know the power at work within us but by the Holy Spirit? Back in Isaiah chapter 11, we have this prophetic word about Jesus. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Who is Jesse? Jesse is the father of David the king. In Isaiah's day, he is looking forward to when this great family tree of David, that great dynasty, is reduced to nothing but a stump. What once was a great flowering, fruitful tree was reduced to a stump. He says, one day there will come a shoot 
from this stump, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. He's not talking literal shoot, literal branch. He's speaking of a person. He says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is Isaiah 11 verses 1 and 2. So Paul is now praying in Ephesians 1 that God's people would have the same spirit of wisdom and revelation that rested upon Christ. And what is the consequence of this? Look back at verse 18. When we have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God, the eyes of our hearts are enlightened by the spirit. We gain for ourselves in our inner being, in our heart, at the center of our thinking and wanting and willing and loving, we gain an understanding. By the Spirit, we gain an understanding of what? Of these three things. I know if you don't have a Bible open in front of you, you're not going to be able to follow this. So I I hope that you do. And if you don't yet, just pick one up and open up to Ephesians 1. We gain an understanding of these three things. We know what is the hope to which God has called us, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and then this third thing, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So, sum that up. Paul is praying that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God that we would gain in our hearts an understanding of, finally, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Now we're going to home in on that third thing because it's this thing, the power of God toward us that Paul dwells on at length and expands upon. Do you realize this power, what the greatness of God's power is toward you? Look at what he says. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? And there's so much more, but I'll just stop right there. This is the power that is energizing your spiritual life. This is the power that is progressing you in the Christian life. It is the power that God wielded on the corpse of His Son to recompose all that was decomposed and raise Him back to life glorified. It's the same power. Same power. So, just on that, it doesn't make sense that we would think in defeatist ways. That we would feel constantly paralyzed, stuck, ground to a halt, deflated in the Christian life. That we are faltering constant failures. So, what I want to do is I want you to realize, I want, I want to help you to realize that Jesus was dead. 
we have a pretty good idea now from Luke's historical outline and from our knowledge of history. We have a pretty good idea that it was on March 29th, A.D. 33. About three o'clock in the afternoon. That the weight of a mutilated, naked corpse sagged against the nails that held it to a cross. The blood of its wounds, which had dripped steadily, forming a pool at the foot of the cross, was now slowed, congealing. Lightless eyes from this corpse stare without seeing. Flies, long gathered, begin to settle now and start in at the nose and the open mouth. A few hours later, that same corpse is down from the cross washed and wrapped. And then it's sealed in the empty tomb, trapped alone with death, which is marching unstoppably on. It's a discolored corpse now, lying still on that bench as cold as the damp tomb. On the top surface, a death gray and on the underside, discolored red and purple, where the blood, internally, is breaking through decomposed vessels and gathering in decomposing tissue. The heart is rigid, stiff, like every other muscle. Cells are breaking down and being consumed. Gases internally are beginning to build up. And the first evening passes into the night. The next day follows. And then another night. And then at the dawn of the third day of the burial, God, who spoke life into being, way back when, now brings it back. And everything that is decomposed and decomposing is by the power of God recomposed to ever live and never die. And the Son of God rises from that bench where He lay and shakes off death like He shakes off the cloth that he had been wrapped in. A man has overcome death. He is the firstborn from the dead. This is the immeasurable greatness of the power of God. This is the strength of his might. And Paul is saying to us that God is energizing your spiritual life in Christ with that very same power. 
death-reversing, sin-conquering, life-flowing, never-dying, ever-living, unconquerable power, able to do far more abundantly than you could ever ask or think. He goes on. And I want you to see, if you have... If you don't have the word and at the beginning of chapter 2, go ahead and get yourself a new translation of the Scriptures. Because and shows that he is not done talking about the accomplishments of the power of God. Look at what he says. Okay, he says, this power that raised the corpse of Jesus, I'm, I'm backing up into chapter 1, that this power that raised the corpse of Jesus from death to life, seated him at God's right hand, this power seated him above all rule and authority and power and dominion, this power put all things under his feet and made him the head of his people. And so he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Chapter 2, verse 1. And this power made you alive. You are walking in the course of the world. You are doing all the bidding of the devil. Verse 3, the devil ruled you so that you carried out all the desires of the passions of your sinful nature. But God being rich in mercy, verse 4, because of the great love with which he loved you, even when you were dead in your trespasses by this power, he made you alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It is this power that has raised you up with Christ and seated you with him in the heavenly places. Verse 6, he says, this is God's gift to you. You are God's workmanship. It is all of grace. And he goes on. He's still, he's still speaking in chapter 2 about the accomplishment of the power of God in your life. You were separated from Christ. You were alienated from Israel. You were a stranger to the covenants with all their promises. You were without hope and you were without God. You were utterly estranged and lost but this power in Christ Jesus has brought you afar off near by the blood of Christ. 2 verse 13. It has reconciled you to God and His people through the cross. So now, you are no longer a stranger. You are no longer an alien. But this power has made you a citizen of God's kingdom and a member of the household of God. You are with the saints, growing together into the Lord's holy temple, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is what the power of God has already accomplished in the life of those who believe. Do you think this power will be repressed? Do you think that this power will be defeated? There's power for you in the present. So Paul says, do not lose heart in chapter 3. But now be strengthened with power through the Spirit of God in your inner being. This is the end of chapter 3. Christ, dwelling in your heart continually by faith, by this power, be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ so that you can comprehend with all the saints the immeasurable, incomprehensible love of Jesus. For God, he says at the end of chapter 3, verse 20, God is able to do far more abundantly than all that you ask or think according to the power at work within you. 
These are staggering, mind-boggling statements. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Do not think that progress in the Christian life is too much for God. Do not think that the habits and addictions of your life cannot be overcome by the resurrecting power of God. His power is in you for you to know the incomprehensible love of Jesus. His power is in you for you to walk worthy of your calling. Chapter 4, verse 1. His power is in you so that you maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, so that you contribute to the building up of the body. His power is at work within you to bring you to the attainment of the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ with all the saints. His power is in you to put off the old self that is corrupt through deceitful desires. His power is in you so that you are renewed in the spirit of your mind. His power is in you so that you put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. His power is at work within you so that you are an imitator of God and walk as His beloved child. So that you walk in love as a child of light. So that you discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So that you make the best use of your time in this present evil age. And so that you are filled with the Spirit. God's power is in you. Chapter 6. For you to be strong in Him and in the power of His might so that you stand in the face of the devil's attack to repulse the cosmic powers of the present darkness and spiritual forces of evil, so that you withstand in the evil day and you stand firm. This is the power of God in you. But we must pray. Follow the pattern of Paul and pray earnestly and continuously. And we must pray on our own and we must pray together that God would give to each of us ignorant, lazy, sin-enthralled, glory-blind people the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. We must pray that having His Spirit, the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened to know in our understanding and in the experience of our lives, the immeasurable greatness of His power. By this power, you have been brought to life. By this power, you are getting home to glory. What about the meantime? What Satan wants to accomplish still, if you cannot be Lost, if you cannot be killed, destroyed. He wants the, the meantime between the past and future accomplishments of God's power. He wants you to go through this Christian life in sparrow mode rather than mounting up with wings like an eagle. He wants you to go through cynical, defeated, deflated, spiritually powerless, never realizing in your experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power in you. Don't let it be. Pray. Pray that God would give to you His Spirit. Put yourself in the position where the Spirit is pouring out. Pray for yourself. Let us pray for one another and go on in the strength of the Lord and in the power of His might. Let's pray.
Father, you know who is here ignorant of your power in them. There may be some here, Father, for whom this is completely foreign. They don't know the power of God in them for conformity to Jesus, for the fruits of the Spirit, Christ-like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. They're completely ignorant because they are not in Christ. Father, I pray that you would grant to these faith in Jesus and repentance of sin for salvation. Save. And I pray, Father, for every struggling Christian here who is struggling not to be defeatist and cynical and to think they can't. I pray, Father, that by your Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who you are and what you have done, plant this truth in their hearts and awaken them to the reality of resurrection power within us, able to accomplish far more than we could ever ask or think. I pray that you would do this for your name's sake, for mercy's sake. In Jesus I pray, amen.